After all the, the, the rain and the storms that we have had, to have a, a day as, as pretty as this, it is certainly a blessing, and it might be even a little bit of a temptation to, to spend a little bit of time uh, away from here and out in the, enjoying this beautiful sunlight. If you're like me, and you went to lunch and you ate just a little bit too much, the thought of laying out on, on, on the, maybe a couch with that sun beaming down on you really sounds like a good thing, but, but you have chose the best thing, uh, to be here, to be gathered together, to worship and praise God, to, to take of a moment to once again pause and give reflection to the death of His Son and the, at the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And, and I thank you for that, for the encouragement that you provide me as you do that. If you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles once more to the book of Revelation, we're actually going to spend just a little bit of time in the book of Revelation this, uh, this afternoon. I'll be reading from there a little bit more than we were this morning. If you want to turn to the book, uh, chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. We're going to read just a little bit about the church of Sardis and the way they are described there. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. This reveals something quite startling to us. This morning we talked about the church and the way that the church is described, how it's been described in other places as the body of Christ. And it's been described as the army of the Lord, and, and, and it's described as the bride of Christ. But here we read something about the, about the church, talking about this church in Sardis that is a name that they are alive and that they are dead. It reveals that churches can die. Now maybe the first thing we think of is, but wait a minute, I remember what the Bible says about this. I remember reading that, that Christ, when he was talking to Peter, said, this is my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. It will, it will forever be. And we know that the Scripture does certainly tell us that, that, that the church is universal. The church that was purchased by the blood of Christ, that was made up of the redeemed both now and in the past, that nothing absolutely ever will prevail against it. But the local congregations that make up that church, well, where are they? The ones that we read about in the New Testament, where are they today? At some point in history, the fact is those churches died. What uh, or, excuse me, there are at least two ways in which this can happen. One is that they just simply cease to exist. Over time, they, there are fewer and fewer members of that church, and they, they start to go to uh, other, maybe other congregations, and eventually those churches just shut their doors. But the other way, the way that is described here in Sardis, is that they die inwardly. Even while outwardly, they still look to be alive. What could possibly do this? What can possibly kill a church? Are we aware of the different weapons that Satan uses to destroy the church? Are there things, or excuse me, to destroy a church? And are there things that threaten our very existence even now, even today, even here at the Lake Street Church of Christ? This afternoon we will examine four things. There are four things that can jeopardize any congregation of God's people. And of these four things, the first one is possibly rather the, the most absolute obvious one, the absolute um, obvious thing that, that the, Satan can throw at a church to, to, to destroy it, to put it in jeopardy, the first thing we think of is persecution. Throughout history, Satan has resorted to this, resorted to physical persecution. Over in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, that you, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear... What you are about to suffer, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and, and, 
and you will have tribulation for ten days, but be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is not something that is a, a new tactic today. And, and so he has done so many times throughout history. If we want to look back a little bit further, go back to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, also tells us that, uh, about the persecution that the church faces, saying, be, so, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So we should not be surprised if that was going on in that day, that these things could possibly go on today. First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though, as though through some strange thing you were, happening, uh, were happening to you. So the Bible, God wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know that this is a weapon that Satan can use to attack the church. Persecution is, is a tool of the devil, but it's not something that we should be surprised at. It's not something that's just uh, pertinent to our day. It's something that's been going on through time. And there are different ways to respond to this persecution. Over in the book of John, in John chapter 12, we read of a little bit of persecution that was going on in the forms of, of the, the Pharisees and how they were treating uh, some, some of the other Jews. John chapter 12, verses 42 through 40, 43 says, Nevertheless, many... Many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We see here some people's response to persecution. When things get difficult, when things get hard, and they feel the persecution of the devil bearing down upon them, they are silenced by it. They, they, they just shut up and they, they, they sit back and... and kind of recluse into that fear that he desires for them to have. But over in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42, we see a different response. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42, we read here, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This wasn't an isolated incident. If we want to turn over to Romans chapter 5, we get another example of those who are suffering persecution and allowing that persecution not to silence them, but were rejoicing in it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We see those who understand the importance of, of tribulation and, and the, the wonderful glory that can be found in, in being able to, be, to go through this tribulation and to grow from it. Over in the book of James, we'll be studying this in the adult class here on Sundays and Wednesdays. It says in verses 2 and 3, James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that your, the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let the endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The point is how we react to the, to the persecution that, that Satan dishes out at us. The response that we have to that 
has effects on the church, on the future of the church. A church that is silenced by persecution is going to die. A, per, a church that when, when try, things get hard, when it becomes the very hard thing to do to say the things that, that God has called us to say, and we decide we're just going to step back from that, we're going to shut up, and we're not going to say those things. Well, that church's lifespan gets drastically shorter when they're not obediently following God. But the church that rejoices in that persecution will not go unnoticed by the Lord. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Here we read, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely slay evil. Say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Silence leads to death. But, but rejoicing in that and allowing that to bolster us and make us stronger, that is certainly something that God sees. And in the book of Revelation, we see several encounters of this, where he, he com, uh, gives commendation to these churches that, that they write to. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 13, to the church at Pergamum, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith even the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who is killed among you, where Satan dwells. He says, I saw your faith, and that you were being persecuted, but you stood strong. Over in Revelation chapter 3, and verse 8, here to the church of Philadelphia, he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have, not, and have not denied my name. God certainly sees the church that stands strong under persecution. But persecution is not the only weapon that Satan has in his arsenal. When a congregation resists persecution, when they stand strong, Satan will oftentimes seek to find another way in which he can, he can attack that congregation, in which he can kill that church. Maybe he does that through false teaching. Over in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation 2, verses 2 through 6. It says, I know your deeds and your toils and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent, and do the deeds what you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were a, a sect of kind of like the Jews that, that were teaching things contrary to, to God's word. And it was threatening the church at Ephesus, but they had overcome. It threatened the church at Pergamos who while handling persecution faithfully, they were floundering with error in their midst. Again, look at in chapter 2, go down to verses 13 through 15, where we already read, it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name. Down to verse 14, but I have a few things against you, because, of, because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Both Peter uh, and Paul warned of this. That he, just the same thing that was going on in the church of Pergamos. Even though that they, had, they had endured persecution, that they were, they were giving up and giving in to, to the error that was being taught. Over in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, 
2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Peter wrote, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, uh, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. False teaching was, was another ta- is another tactic that Satan has. And there are two things that we are told that are necessary to guard against false teaching, to guard against error. The first one is a passage we are probably well familiar with. We read it just a few days ago at the end of our gospel meeting. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4 tells us to hold fast to sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy, starting a little bit backwards, let's start in verse 3. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. We must not turn away from the truth, from the sound doctrine that we have. Sound doctrine involves preaching the Word. We must make sure that we stand up and are willing to say the things that need to be said whenever, whenever they are negative, such as a rebuke, Whenever they are positive, such as an exhortation, and even when there's times that they are not the popular thing to say, verses one and two goes in to tell us that in times of season and out and times that are out of season, we must be aware of what we might consider popular preaching or pop culture preaching, things that simply entertain rather than instruct, and we must not support those who teach contrary to the doctrine. Second John chapter nine, John was warning of this. When he talked about those that were anti-Christ, those were opposed to Christ. Second John, in verse 9, he says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. If we are going to... If we're going to guard ourselves against this tool of the devil, false teaching, and and how he can creep that in little by little to attack the church, we have to make sure that we stand in these areas. When a church stands strong against persecution, when a church stands strong against false doctrine, that is a very good sign. But that does not mean that Satan just gives up. Unfortunately, there are still more tools that Satan has. Uh, that doesn't mean that he cannot still come in and attack this church and even kill the, the church. Many sound churches have been destroyed by one of, of two more tools that we're going to look at this afternoon. The first one is worldliness. Worldliness, that includes things such as immorality and materialism. Uh, immorality is the, the lust of the flesh. Things that, that, that we desire as a fleshly body. Materialism involves the lust of the eyes, the things that we see and, and that we covet and want. Over in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says that these are both are included in the love of the world. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does this, the will of God lives forever. Satan uses worldliness to destroy churches. Think again over in Revelation, the church at Thyatira. Let's turn over and read of them again. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. 
Here says unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. We see this great commendation given about this church. You are, you are strong. You are enduring persecution. You are standing strong, and you're doing better now than you were. You're, you're growing. But, verse 20, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they uh, commit acts of immorality, and they eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit uh, commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds." In verse 23, I will kill our children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Despite all the commendation that was, all the commendation that was given to this church, we see there in verse 19, worldliness had taken effect in the church. Worldliness was something that was, that was a, a strong influence in that church. Now again, as we read through the book of Revelation, we need to always consider that the book is written in an apocalyptic format. And so the things here are very, very symbolic. And just who exactly they were following after this this one labeled as Jezebel, uh, there there are several different ideas on that, and and maybe someday we we need to get in and look at that. But what we really see represented here is the fact that she was, uh, that this church was giving themselves over to worldliness, to spiritual immorality, to, to the lust of the eyes. It had been, uh, and still today, immorality has made a wreck of many churches. Materialism has drawn many Christians away from their service to the Lord. Churches are hindered when their members are rendered fruitless by worldliness. Think back there to Luke chapter 8 and the parable of the, of the soils. That thorn-filled soil, that, that heart that, that accepts the word, but things spring up and choke out the goodness of that word. If we are to ward off worldliness, 1 John chapter 2 tells us we must have the love of the Father. Look over in James chapter 4. <clears throat> James chapter 4, and in verse 4. It goes on to say, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We need to make sure that we have that love of the Father, that we are putting Him first, that we are focusing all of our love on Him. We must not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us. And Luke chapter 21, turn over there with me. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36, tells us that we need to be watching and we need to be praying. Luke 21, 34 says, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all of those who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We need to be looking, we need to be watching, and we need to be praying. A church that is sound on certain issues can still be, though, a dead or a dying church. If worldliness is allowed to infect its members, to draw them away, A similar spiritual sickness that Satan can use to destroy the church is that of indifference as well. 
This is a subtle weapon that Satan uses, but it is a very effective weapon as well. It jeopardized the standing of the churches at Ephesus. We remember we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, that they had left their first love. It characterized the church at Laodicea, making them almost repulsive to Christ, that they were found to be lukewarm. He would rather them be hot or cold, so for that matter, he was going to spew them out of his mouth. We do not have to oppose the church, is the message that is being taught here. We do not have to oppose the church to kill the church. We just need to be slothful. We need to be indifferent. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12 for a moment. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. Matthew 12 and verse 30 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. We just have to set ourselves, uh, not necessarily set ourselves against the work, but just not be participating in the work. Be indifferent to the work that that the church is involved in. Some symptoms of indifference. Things such as a regular attendance of services. A lack of participation in the services, whether it be the worship or the Bible classes. Consistently arriving late to services as if it's of no importance. Waning efforts to win souls to Christ. Not having personal and private devotions, Bible studies and prayers. These things, these things can be red flags. They can be warnings that a very real problem might exist. But we can prevent indifference. We can cure indifference. And the cure to that is fervent service. Over in Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, we read this. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Do not grow weary in doing good and allow that to help and strengthen your service that you provide to the Lord. Another passage we might look at is over in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 6.11 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until, the, until that end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So we must be diligent. We must not become sluggish, but be diligent in our work. Then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 encourages us to, to hold fast to that hope by encouraging one another. Lifting one another up. Make sure that we are working towards the cure instead of towards the problem of indifference. While there might be more ways to kill a church, these four tools are probably among some of the most most effective tools that Satan uses to attack the church. Persecution, false teaching, worldliness, indifference. So my question this afternoon is this. What about... We've talked about these other churches in, in the book of Revelation. What about this church? What about Lake Street? Satan, I can guarantee you, we, we, if we ever get the, the mindset that Satan's just not doing anything to us, he's sitting back, Lake Street, they're over there, they're not worth my time. We are wrong. But is he making any ground in that work, in that attack against the church? Is he making any progress in his attempts to kill us? We might be free from physical persecution. But we know that there are, there are those around the world that have to face that. We might be free from that. We might be known as a sound congregation. But what about worldliness? What about indifference? Do these things take their toll on the congregation here? Brethren, to be forewarned 
is to be forearmed. We can be prepared for the enemy when we see them coming in, in, uh, in advance. We need to be honest with ourselves, brutally honest. We t- took a test not too long ago. Holly gave me a test to determine what kind of personality I had, and, and it was very eye-opening. But she got on to me because she said, you're not being brutally honest. You're answering these questions as how you want to be, but you know that's not how you are. And she was right. We have to be brutally honest with ourselves. Are we vulnerable in some of these areas? Do not let the great deceiver deceive us into thinking that we're not. I pray that each and every one of us will do our part in bolstering our defenses against the one who seeks to destroy us. And remember again that 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, what Paul wrote, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know his tools. We know his schemes. And we know, we know the power of the one who gives us hope. We know the power of the head of this body, the leader of this army, the groom-to-be. We know Christ. And so this afternoon we have discussed the dangers facing the church. But the danger facing the soul, who is not a part of the church, is so much worse. It is a life without hope of true life. It is a life without hope of true happiness. And it is a life destined only for destruction. That's not what God wants. He loves you so much. He sent His Son to save you from that reality. So today, if we would confess that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we would repent and turn away from from that sinful life, and we would turn towards Him, turn to God in obedience by being baptized in the death of His Son, if we'd be washed in the precious blood of Christ, and if we would stand fast against the attacks of the devil... Until death. When, it, when, when those words were written in the, to, the, to the church there in the book of Revelation, do you be steadfast until death? That literally meant for that congregation that were facing physical death, that even with physical death come upon you, you stand fast knowing the hope that you have. If there is some way we can help you this afternoon, won't you please make your way forward right now as we stand and as we sing.